0: Okay, welcome everyone to this very special edition of Daily Jewish Thought with Rabbi Yisrael I'm here with my colleague, Rabbi Yeshua Berkowitz. And the reason why I brought him on is because I wanted to have a conversation with him about um, a piece of media that came out recently having to do with the COVID-19 pandemic. I'll just preface it by saying that a lot of the media that has come out has been very negative towards uh, religious Jews, people blaming uh, the Orthodox Jewish community for the pandemic, in some cases in New York and in other places. And there was an absolutely beautiful piece of media, of an article that came out uh, in Saturday's Globe and Mail by a Joseph Rosen, he is a professor at Dawson College in Montreal. And the article was entitled, For Years I Felt Rejected by My Hasidic Neighbors, But COVID-19 Brought Us Together. And I was literally crying when I read the article the first time. So what I thought I'd do, and by the way, just to note, the article has 66 comments under it, which I don't know if we'll have time to go through. But what I'm, I think I'm going to do uh, tonight is I think I'm going to read the article. So that way you have an idea of what we're talking about, and then um, either we can talk about it in the middle of the article, or do you think, Rabbi Yosh, we should read through the whole article and then talk about it?
1: I think uh, it's too long, too much information to go through the whole thing and then talk about it. So we'll have right. to stop and we go through. So I'll start reading,
0: and then you're welcome to stop me at any time so that we can uh, discuss it. Okay? Mm-hmm. So uh once again this is from the Global Mail. It's an opinion column. Uh it, the the top of the column has uh an incredible picture of uh a red brick bil- uh building which is typical of Utrecht, where the story is taking place and you see uh a number of hasidim in talit and tfilin uh praying on their balconies, one's on the second floor balcony and the other ones uh, on, on the actual, uh, the bottom balcony. The bottom balcony also has a Torah laid out on it, yep. which is very interesting.
1: Why don't you share your screen?
0: Uh, yeah, oh, that's a great idea. Well, Actually, well most people are just listening to it. Yeah, most people are listening okay. to it, so it doesn't really matter. And then there's one man who you see his back, the it's uh, in his back, and he's on the street. So you see clearly there's a uh, quite a, a bit of social distancing going on, but clearly a minion going on. So apparently this has been happening all over Utrema. Do you know anything about it more than I know?
1: I mean, uh, just the clips I see on Twitter uh, from uh, mostly non-Jews on on Shabbos uh, (laughs) taking videos and audio. Yeah, Um, that's quite something, huh? Yeah, that's really epic. And uh, yeah, that's the positive, mostly positive for now. I mean, there was also the... um, They made baskets and letters and gave it to all the neighbors and said thank you for you know for letting us pray outside.
0: I also saw an incredible uh, picture where someone had put uh, a banner on their front balcony that said "We love your praying, keep it up, stay safe," like that. Yeah, yeah. So there's been, I would say, primarily a lot of positive response to the fact that uh, Hasidim in Utrecht have gone to their prayer. And doing their prayer on their balconies. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so so, here's the article. Sorry, I've just got to bring it up here. Uh, I'll read a piece of it, and please, Rabbi Yosh, uh, interrupt me whenever you'd like. And uh, oh, Ruben Korb says uh, on Facebook that there have been some minyanim in, in Cote Saint Luke as well. So that's great. So I'm assuming the primarily Jewish or religiously Jewish neighborhoods have been doing these balcony. Ah, uh, porch minyans where people are social distancing since they're all religious Jews in the same block. They're able to do that, keeping with the the, the government's laws and being able to uh, pray at the same time, which is really incredible. I will say mm-hmm. that I have not been part of a minyan in over two months. I yeah. unfortunately attended a funeral of someone who had passed away on Friday, and it was the first time I had been to a number of other funerals. But this was the first one that had a minion. So they did the Kaddish. And it was the first time I heard the Kaddish in uh, two months. And it was very emotional. I was almost crying when I was answering Amen to the Kaddish, realizing that I really hadn't been to a minion in a very long time.
1: Yeah, the same thing happened to me on Thursday afternoon. I just happened to be driving down the Lubavitch neighborhood at 8 p.m., which is uh, prime Mincha time. And uh, ha- also have not been to a Minion since uh, right after Purim, two months. And uh, also, exactly the same thing happened to me. I'm like, oh my God, here it is. And I just stopped my car and said I'm in the end of the Minion. And like, well, I haven't done that in two months. And also, pretty emotional moment. Yeah, totally just experienced that this week as well.
0: I just find there's so many things that we have taken for granted in our lives that yeah. maybe we're taking a little less for granted right now. Oh, for sure. And this is one of them. So uh, let me get to the article. Joseph Rosen. Uh, I, I live on a Montreal block in my land, once the neighborhood of Mordecai Richler, which is now 50% Hasidic Jews, an ultra-Orthodox sect that prays three times a day and wears black hats imitating 19th cent- 18th century Polish
1: aristocrats. Well, I live yep. among them... Hmm? Do you know who the Polish aristocrats were trying to imitate?
0: No, who were they trying to imitate?
1: According to some theories, uh, Mongolian dress.
0: Oh, oh wow, that's fascinating.
1: <laughs> yeah, if you look at the uh, fur hats, it does look a bit Mongolians. Mongolian. Anyway, I digress. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Though uh, fur is not
0: very popular anymore, so fur is not popular. Yeah. So he continues, while I live among them as a secular Jew, I have friendly relations with some neighbors as Hasidim separate themselves from me and my social world. For many in the neighborhood, including me, social distance with our counterparts is nothing new. But COVID-19 quarantine protocols, while physically distancing me from secular society, have brought me socially closer to my Hasidic neighbors. Morning and night, their voices sing out in prayer Ancient Middle Eastern melodies float through the pandemic-emptied street, bringing archaic echoes of spiritual yearning to the urban streetscape. Fathers, sons, grandfathers, and grandsons. It's only ever men. Cluster together on front steps, lean out from balconies, and dot the sidewalk. Melancholic songs ring up and down the street in passionate call and response, and passerby stare in wonder. After weeks of this outdoor synagogue, I see that the Hasidim have something to teach us seculars about what it means for a community to reconnect in a COVID-19 world. I think that's fascinating, just that that comparison between the secular community and perhaps something the Hasidim, with their call-and-response prayer, as he calls it, have to teach the, the, the secular world.
1: Yeah, I mean, this, this whole idea of getting together as a community so many times in the day or so many times in the week, um, during normal times, right, in synagogue, right? I remember when I first started uh, attending Shul when I was a teenager, uh, it was a new thing for me, and one of the things that struck me um was like oh wow it's like so interesting seeing the same people every week and sometimes even more often than that and like having relationship and sharing in you know sorrows and sharing and and Mm -hmm. joy together and that was like a new experience and so uh, coming from the background that i did just like him right the secular background that he's talking about um like that was a new that was that's something that maybe we take for granted in the you know, in the what what they call the ultra orthodox community, or whatever that there's just this kind of constant community around. But like, that's a very big deal. Like, a lot of people don't have that. Some yeah. people do. Some people have these communities and they get together a lot with their little group. But a lot of people just don't have that. They don't have that group that gets together. And um, you know, that's what's going like on. A, this lot, a lot
0: of things that again that we took for granted they're just becoming so apparent during this pandemic in a way yeah. that. Um, they haven't before, like people just just general things, for example, just social interactions with people like physical, social interactions, which seemed obvious before are not anymore.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They're a big deal now. It's like human beings. Woo! Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, just, you know, I was I
0: was walking in the street and I met someone today and it was exciting to see someone to actually have a conversation face to face, obviously six feet apart, but at least being able to see someone
1: yeah yeah okay, but it's, zoom. Interesting. it's interesting though there's something more to what he's talking about, though. it's the because we just seeing someone and having that conversation, it's cute and everything, but he's talking about this like really deep kind of connection that people have when they pray together. you know they're seeing the call and the answer. he's talking describing the depth of the melodies and beauty, and like you can mm-hmm. see people and you can get together with the same people. It doesn't mean your community. there has to be depth. So maybe that's what's striking him is that mm-hmm. they're doing something deep and emotional together all the time. And men, right? He says, oh, they're just men. But when do you see men in, you know, general society, in Western society, getting together and expressing their emotions together as a group, right? So do you true, ever see
0: men expressing emotions. That's interesting. I-, I once heard, you know, if someone is speaking and someone else speaks, it's interrupting. But if you're singing and someone else joins, it's considered harmony. Yeah. And I never thought about the emotional component of men who are very generally stereotyped as people who are not as emotional or not good at expressing their emotions are getting together. That's very powerful.
1: Yeah, and especially the Hasidic style of prayer, right? I mean, for them, uh, there's different styles of prayer, right? Some you go to and everything's like dry and crisp and, you know, uh, different. You know, the the Hasidic style of Utrama especially is like every – you know, the prayers, especially now in the street and especially with what's going on, but mm-hmm. it's very, um, the way they pray is really emotionally intense. I mean, without going into the whole philosophy of it, right? That's their philosophy. It's, called, it's the uh, what we would call Chagat Hasidut, which uh, roughly translates to the uh, Hasidut right? Hasidim who focus on emotions as the overt way that they serve God. They, there's, so, a swaying, there's a lot of
0: swaying. There's a lot of physical um interaction yeah. with the prayer like as far as the swaying and the, the 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 i can't describe it but
1: no yeah it's very intense they're screaming Right, yeah. it, it gets very intense it gets very intense so yeah it's just a fascinating thing right i guess a bunch of men and he's kind of like you know he's pointing it out in a kind of a half-ironic way or but it's it's interesting you know uh men getting together as, as guys, and let's talk about our feelings. <laughs> that's yeah. basically what it means, right? Yeah, it's true. It anyway. What it should be.
0: And they're literally propping each other up as they're talking about their feelings. Exactly. <laughs> so let me continue Joseph Rosen's uh, uh, article in the uh, Globe and Mail. He says, My first response wasn't so romantic. Hearing noises coming from my balcony, I stepped outside and was surprised to see four Hasidic brothers praying on the adjacent balcony. I went downstairs to see that my neighbor's front stoop was the center of the service. I immediately worried that this religious ritual might increase my family's risk of infection. Years ago, my neighbor put up a green plastic fence to separate our front stoops. I felt rejected. Since COVID-19, the same neighbor brings out a Torah, a ritual Bible scroll on a portable table, and I find the front of my house at the heart of their religious services. Because Orthodox Jews must pray communally in a minyan of t- at least 10 men, the Hasidim were in, a blo- were in a bind when the government shuttered all religious buildings and forbade religious services. Rabbis, in accordance with government directives, forbade having minyans in person, improvising as Jews have often done living under regimes that forbade Jewish practice, my Orthodox neighbors took to the streets so that while remaining two meters apart, they could continue to pray together instead of hiding in caves and basements as Jews sometimes had to do in centuries past. The new coronavirus has driven them outdoors. It's interesting, I think, that He's making the connection. I've heard a lot of other people making the connection about how Jews have had to live through persecution and how they've always had to find some creative way of being Jewish and expressing their Judaism through persecution. And once again, this seems to be a common theme, even in a country, let's say like Canada, where we are, where there's absolutely no worry of persecution. um, It still keeps on coming up with regards to coronavirus as Jews having to use their creativity to be able to practice Judaism.
1: Yeah, but it's kind of like this reverse thing, right? In the past, it was all about how can we how can we innovate? How can we come up with new ways to keep this more secret and more quiet? Here, it's like, how can we come up with ways to keep this, like, more in the outdoors and more public, right? That's, like, yeah. uh, that's the direction of it. But, um, yeah, I had uh, another thought. It's We're doing this late, but, uh, yeah. Okay, I'll, it'll come back to me.
0: I'll I'll continue the article. So this is, I'm continuing Joseph Rosen's article in the Globe and Mail. One morning, my curiosity overcame my fear as I walked out to the sidewalk when I heard them chanting. As much as I enjoy secular life, I found myself missing a sense of spiritual connection. It was cold with the smattering of April snow on the ground. In addition to COVID-19, we have to survive what Montreal calls spring, quote unquote, together. My neighbor started praying with his son, and he watched for others to emerge from their front doors. White talit prayer shawls, embroidered with silver and blue, covered their heads. They wore tefillin, black leather boxes containing parchment, inscribed with Hebrew verses, which are wrapped with leather straps onto the forehead and arm. My neighbor walked up and down the sidewalk, looking to connect with other Hasidim, as they came out across the street and down the block. Silent! So as not to interrupt the order of prayers, they made hand gestures to each other, like third base coaches, holding up fingers to indicate how many were praying. My neighbor signaled to a man a few houses away who peeked into his neighbor's window, two fingers, When they identified a minion of ten. They said Kaddish. The prayer is recited by mourners for 11 months after a close relative dies. In Judaism, one doesn't mourn alone, but surrounded by community. Yeah. What, do you, what do you think?
1: No, keep going, keep going. It's a new article. We're, barely, we're just scratching the surface.
0: Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll keep reading. Once again, I'm reading the Globe Mail, Joseph Rosen. The first Montrealer to die of COVID-19 was 67-year-old Hasid who went to a synagogue two blocks away from me. Online news articles about the community became a hotspot of anti-Semitic ranting. The Hasidim felt immediately targeted. The level of hatred and level of focus of scapegoating has gone beyond anything we have seen before, said one Hasid. When a janitor was seen cleaning a synagogue, a neighbor called the police and eight cop cars showed up. There are reports of verbal attacks on the street and Hasidim being told to stick with the quote-unquote Jewish stores. A few unfortunately timed weddings, big families, and travel back and forth may explain by my co-religionists, I love that term co-religionists were initially hit harder than other communities. And as friends and I joked after Justin Trudeau warned against speaking moistly, energetic schmoozing might've been a factor in the Jewish transmission rate.
1: Yeah. So one second, uh, he was talking about that, you know, the cop car showing up at shows that happened to you recently, right? Yeah,
0: it did happen to me recently. So uh, we had an exterminator in our house and uh, we decided the exterminator said you have to leave for four hours, so we just figured we'd go to Chabad, which is a few blocks from my house, and we just with the kids, and we just stay there for a few hours while we're waiting for the exterminator. So as we're walking in, there was a line of people that were waiting uh, to get croissants and for the, the place next door, and I could see people eyeing us. You know, they saw my. It's just my wife and I and our four children, and uh, we're walking into the center. Not ten minutes later, two police officers show up. We got a call that there were more than 10 people gathering here. Uh, so I said, I'm sorry, it's just uh, my family and I. And they uh, had to search, I guess it's part of protocol. They literally searched the entire place. They were going like searching behind doors and in the storage room. I mean, I don't even know what they thought. Maybe people were hiding. I'm not exactly sure what they were, what they were thinking at the time. But yeah, I mean, so I, I, can, I definitely know what that feels like
1: yeah 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 without a warrant of course <laughs> of course of course <sighs> warrant, know, not but, necessary but yeah i guess i guess but uh and what else did he say there that was interesting um so yeah that okay well with scapegoating and all that right i mean yeah. so it's really interesting because um just the way it was portrayed in the media right it was kind of like when the Hasidic community was hit hard it was like kind of scapegoating and blaming them. That was like the subtext. Um, and when it was other communities that were hit, it was kind of like, oh, poor them. It's because they're disadvantaged. Yeah. Right. It's kind of playing into this identity politics of, you know, the privileged are always wrong and the disadvantaged are always right.
0: Yeah. That's a very good point.
1: So Because being Jewish, especially being specific is considered to be part of a privileged class privileged whatever um so you know everything is always your fault because you're a perpetrator right uh whereas if you're part of a community which is considered to be disadvantaged so you're always the victim Mm -hmm. so you always have to play the part of the victim and you're always being victimized by something by someone else so that's the whole scapegoating thing translated into modern identity politics but uh, that's pretty much what's happening and you can see it in the way the articles are written. It's unbelievable. You can compare the media, you can compare articles to, and, and commentators talking about the Jewish community, talking about other communities and how they were hit. And, like, you'll vary. not all the time, there's exceptions, but you'll very often see people use a very different language. And it's actually sick. It makes me sick. Wow. Yeah. He, he continues here.
0: This next paragraph really caught my attention. So I'm reading Joseph Rosen, the Global Mail. Some argue that they have been socially irresponsible, but Hasidim are not libertarian yahoos. It is their communal commitments that have made them...
1: I take take offense to that. Some of us certainly are libertarian yahoos.
0: (laughs) I know, I was thinking about that.
1: You're damn proud of it. (laughs)
0: Um, It is their communal commitments that have made them and potentially my front yard more vulnerable to the coronavirus. We worshipers of the secular indulge in unnecessary COVID-19 risks, too. Some go for runs in busy parks. Others order delivery from Pizza Pizza. My COVID-19 vices are social, ringing my friend's doorbell to sing happy birthday to their child, midnight scotch drinking with friends at two meters, and visiting my girlfriend across town at nowhere near two meters. The risks we take are based on what we value most. And I think it's so interesting. You know, what he's bringing up in this article is that the Hasidim value their prayer, and that's the risk that they're taking. And, yeah. you know, he values his delivery from Pizza Pizza or ringing his friend's doorbell, which is also a risk. So it's interesting how, you know, him social distancing in his own way is not, you know, everyone will say, okay, that's okay. You're okay to do that. But some Hasidim praying on their balconies, well, that's not okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's like a real, I mean, it's become the object of satire already. Right. The, like the the whole like, oh, prayer is forbidden, you know, and it's become like, like everything else is okay, but not prayer. It's become the object of satire. And um, that's a whole discussion for itself. Yeah. Why it's like that. Because, uh, look, you know, it's because. There,
0: there is a double standard there. I think it's not fair. I mean, just to, there's a real double standard there.
1: Yeah, I mean, it really comes down to what's the definition of essential, right? And what people feel is essential and what's not considered essential. It's society, you know, there's the, there's the letter of the law, what the law mm-hmm. says is essential, and there's what people consider socially acceptable as essential, right? And then uh, that's really what it comes down to. So, Right, but who, who decided what is and what isn't, you know? It's interesting. SAQ is
0: essential, which is the, the, the liquor store here uh, in Quebec. That's considered essential, but...
1: Not just the liquor store, the cannabis store also. Exactly. exactly. Okay, marijuana is essential, right? It was illegal two years ago. They would arrest you if you bought it. Now it's essential. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <Great point. laughs> there you go. So, yeah, it's really like all the shifting of society, right? So, uh, yeah, absolutely. There's a huge societal factor of what's considered essential. It's not, uh, it's not an objective thing.
0: Yeah, Exactly. So uh, let me. Uh, I'm, I'm reading the Global Mail. Um, Joseph Rosen. Uh, I'll continue the article. The Hasidim pray together, and my neighbors, facing the green fence, sing loudly right onto my stoop, potentially increasing my viral exposure. The coronavirus highlights how permeable the borders are between our bodies and how much our private choices affect everyone around us. After stepping onto the sidewalk that morning, I strolled up and down the block, seeing the Hasid. Every three or four houses, the silver embroidery on their tallit flashed brightly in the sun, imparting a splendor one does not see indoors. One man shouted his prayer out of his open window on the second floor. I didn't understand the words, and the singing wasn't classically beautiful like the choirs in more mainstream synagogues and churches, but his voice rang out with a pained yearning that resonates in this time of uncertainty. At various points, congregants yelled so that all could hear Amen, pronounced Amen, meaning so be it. And they all simultaneously went quiet. They prayed the Amida, a prayer said silently on one's own. Closing their eyes, they turned east in the direction of Jerusalem and began to bob up and down, swaying back and forth. Their fervor infected me, and I took a moment to stand in the stillness of the morning. Feeling the weight and uncertainty of the pandemic that led to this outdoor synagogue, so many things seem less important. And something, although I'm not sure what, felt more important. They know what they're praying. I don't. They know what brings them together. We don't. To what will we, seculars, say,
1: Amen? Right. So what he's talking about there is this idea of what makes a society into a society. All right. What are, what are our shared values that we value as a society? Does that even exist? Is it even necessary? All right. That's, that's what he's talking about. So he's talking in secular society is just like this civic kind of, you know, um, there's no cohesion. You just kind of, we all live side by side and we just tolerate each other. There's mm-hmm. supposed to be some sort of common, some sort of common value that unites us in a deeper way, and that's really what he's commenting on, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, it's so powerful. Like, to what will we seculars say, Amen?
1: Yeah. What, well, yeah. What is the, what values unite us? Wow. Yeah. We'll be back after a quick break.
0: Are you tired of swiping right on every dating app out there and still getting nowhere? Are you convinced that you'll forever be alone, surrounded by nothing but uh, cats and empty takeout containers?
1: <laughs> Hi, I'm Elisa Ben Shalom, the host of the new show, Jewish Matchmaking, which you can find on Netflix.
0: And I'm the love rabbi, Rabbi Yastral Bernath, and we're inviting you to join us for Matchmaker Matchmaker.
1: Each week, we'll answer one of your pressing relationship questions, from how to get over your ex, to how to deal with your partner's annoying habits.
0: So if you're ready to laugh, uh, cry, or maybe even find love, then tune in to Matchmaker Matchmaker, and it's available now wherever you listen to your podcasts. Wow. I'll continue the article. Mm-hmm. On Saturday morning, the Jewish Sabbath, I decided to join their minion. I feared they wouldn't count me as a Jew, but I'd put on a tie, a black jacket and my yarmulke, the religious head covering that along with hijabs, Quebec bans from public office. They saw me with surprised but welcoming eyes. My neighbor whisked the Torah out of his house like it was a famous celebrity and he was a security detail. They signaled back and forth silently to determine who would read and sing which parts. I let go of my insecurity and joined the chorus shouting, Amen. After the service, everyone met one another's eyes to congratulate each other. They looked at me too, smiling, and said, Good Shabbos. Infected by their communal warmth, I felt connected to these previously distant neighbors Later that afternoon, walking down the street,
1: I asked Acid. We need to we need to stop there for a second. Okay, sure. So I wanna I want to talk about this. I want to talk about this. This is really interesting, right? So this is the whole thing about um, it's the whole thing. okay, right? The this whole commentary on uh, and you know I think it also comes up in the comments a lot. Uh, over here, and you know I think he was, you you posted this on Facebook. it was somebody's first comment actually some random dude from some québécois dude right? I just happened to read it on your on your Facebook rabbi comment just like, oh, they're finally decided to. it took covid nineteen to get the Hasidim to socially integrate
0: mm-hmm.
1: right, yeah, and, and so that's like a big thing, you know amongst the big complaint, French Canadians you know who uh Luchemans, who are like really friendly, I guess, and you know this whole joie de vivre thing and uh they're like these guys are really unfriendly right they don't they don't look at us they're like kind of unfriendly
0: yeah there's definitely so, that, that you see that a lot in the media and in general the trope is that the hasidim are unfriendly towards their neighbors in utrama yeah
1: yeah and and you know the assumption is they're unfriendly because they look down on everyone else everyone else isn't holy cool enough isn't pure enough you knows so they don't want to look they don't want to know they don't want to have any outside influence and you know i'm not saying that that's completely untrue i can't uh you know but i i would question you know what he's experiencing here i would question how much of it is chasidim trying to distance themselves from everyone else because they feel they need to reject everyone else mm-hmm. and how much of it, that how much of it is that they feel that everybody else is going to reject them oh wow they so know that, that. when, when what?
0: Speak more to that, please.
1: Yeah. I mean, just look, look, I know for myself and, you know, uh, you know that you look different, you know, that, you know, you don't fit in the way you look and, and uh, yeah, to some extent, fine. You know, you want to, you want you know, there's this idea of keeping, keeping the walls up, but in this day and age, um, I, I would ask, how like, you know, imagine what it feels like to be different. Right to be that different uh, uh, in a bigger, way bigger society, and to be dressed different, to look different. I mean, I, I ask the question: How much does the idea come in that you think that everybody is going to reject you? Mm-hmm. You know that you, really, you know that people don't really want to know that people are going to not really understand you. And so, the second he just puts on a yamaka and says i'm I'm gonna really try to understand you. I'm gonna get into this. I'm not just gonna um you know treat this superficially I, you know I'm taking the effort to to come in and understand, and you know it's like it, it takes a second. It was like, oh, oh wow, they're all welcoming me i th- I think it was, they were welcoming welcoming him the whole time
0: right it's you the
1: know other they we, them
0: we other people we do that people who yeah. look differently people who for some reason we think they're not like us we just other them it's the easiest way to put them in a box and just kind of say that they're different
1: yeah i mean i find they do all these projects down with the community you know as soon as you know if somebody is coming to do like a project somebody's coming to do uh, you know some sort of video or documentary or something they want to say i want to get to know the hasidic jews right mm-hmm. and they're really they have no pro- like, no matter what their background. Somebody if not Jewish at all. It's like, well, come on, come on, come right on in. Like we love to show you what what we do and what we're up right. to. You know what I mean? It's like uh, they roll up the red carpet. You know, they give you the tour, and here we are, and, very, and everything's very friendly because like they f- they feel accepted. Mm-hmm. You know when uh, <laughs> you know you, you see that pretty co- consistently. Like they're very happy to. I think in today maybe it wasn't true years ago, but now I feel like the cinema are very happy to you know show their community and show what they're all about, and they've kind of embraced their position in you know the media that they are in the media quite a bit, and they said okay you know let's show everybody what we're all about. But you know I think it's they don't want to be rejected, and they don't want to be constantly um, you know misunderstood and misquoted and just like the totally, totally, you know. Uh, you know, here Joseph Rosen is doing a pretty good job with details, right? He knows quite a bit and it's not perfect. You know what I mean? He uh, There's a few little details here and there that are off, but he's pretty good. He knows the inside stuff, you know, the culture. It's a very subtle culture, but they're afraid of like people with have no understanding of their culture coming in and just talking about things because they looked it up on Wikipedia and really having no idea what they're talking about. of the culture and just like totally butchering it and getting it wrong. And I've seen that so many times.
0: Yeah, it's a so, very good point.
1: Yeah. So, you know, uh, yeah, I, like, look how easy it was for him to be accepted, you know, for uh, for that. You know, it was like, right. right away, maybe 30 years ago, that wouldn't have happened. Maybe it would have been different 30 years ago, but not today.
0: That's interesting. And then that change where I think the Hasidim are, are making an effort as well. I think everyone has to make that effort.
1: Yeah, yeah. It could have to do with chabad also. I mean, look, they know uh, there's the, well, there's the media. They know that everything is recorded and everything could get written up. You know, the guy who put up the green barrier, did he know he was going to get written up in a big newspaper about his green barrier? Yeah. <laughs> last <Yeah>. <laughs> very good point. What I'm saying, like everything today is a thing. So you yeah. have to be. That's one thing you can't live that way, that way anymore. And also, I think also. The Hasidim are very aware of Jewish outreach. They, they, they all get hear They all know about Chabad. They all travel, and they get to go to Chabad house, and they see, oh, okay, you can do this. You can be a, a Hasid, and you can reach out to your fellow Jew. I think that's like the, they're very conscious of that now. They read about it in the mag in their in their magazines, right? Uh, I
0: stories like that now.
1: There's all, yeah. They're they're reading about Jewish outreach that Chabad does as 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 a, as a group of as a Hasidic group. So I think that they're like, okay, we can do that too. Yeah, I would. That has, there, there's an aspect of that as well—an osmosis between specific groups.
0: It's a great point. I'm going to continue the article. Yeah. Uh, so, Global Mail, Joseph Rosen. Later that afternoon, walking down the street, I asked the Hasid about the Parsha Hashavua, the section of the Torah they read that week. It addressed impurity, how to purify women who have given birth and men who have wasted. And quote unquote emission, meaning an, ej- an ejaculation that has not landed in the divinely sanctified receptacle. Such a clean way of explaining it. Fantastic.
1: Not technically correct either, but whatever. Yes, but.
0: <laughs> did a good job keeping it uh, PG. Yeah. Then it addressed how to purify someone with leprosy after a seven day quarantine, just like now, quote unquote, the Hasid said enthusiastically. It was a disease that no one knew how to heal. If a leper gets better, then their house remains unclean. Concludes the Torah portion. It must be rebuilt using new materials.
1: That's funny. You know, the fourteen-day quarantine started yeah. there in the Torah. That's it's amazing
0: right. that the quarantine happened to be that week's Torah portion as well. Yeah,
1: seven and seven days. Yeah, fourteen-day yeah.
0: quarantine's right there. I, I, I not by chance. Not at all. Yeah. And he he finishes the article, the Hasidim have already figured out how to reorganize themselves during COVID-19 based on their deepest values. And we, one of the most privileged societies in human history, who have known neither drought nor famine, war nor plague, need to do the same. The Sabbath is the day when we pause all forms of labor. It provides an opportunity to reconnect to the deeper values guiding our work week. COVID-19 has provided us seculars with just such a pause. In this time of physical distance and suspended labor, we must reimagine how we will reorganize as a society, how we will restructure our economy to come together productively without quote unquote wasting emissions. Given the plague of global warming, we cannot just return to business as usual. We need to discuss whether we must rebuild our house from scratch. We must rediscover the values that guide us. This is the conversation we need to have now, passionately, but not moistly. The end of the article.
1: I love how he finishes it with moistly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, when I yeah. heard Go say that, it was,
0: it was quite funny the first time as well. When I when I heard it, moistly. Yeah. I love the song. I, in general, I really like descriptive words. So, anything speaking
1: that's like moistly words. speaking, <laughs> moistly. Okay, it's a great song.
0: um Yeah. Any closing words. What?
1: Any closing words uh, on the? Yeah. What to talk about? I mean, it's just so you know, nice. it's really cool. It's really beautiful how. He says, we, he starts talking about the Jewish people taking Shabbat he says, we, he really yeah. identifies with it all of a sudden, that's like a big change in the article is like, wow, this is like real, like this is something, you know, when he, he it's a huge change. He says, he, when he says that amen, right. When he joins in for the first time and it's just like, you know, we rest like, who, like we rest, like he, he, he includes himself, right? That's- like that's huge. He's recognizing the value. He's looking at the person and he's saying, Wow, this is talking about today. Right? This yeah. is connecting my values and what I'm doing today. And like, you know, global warming and like issues that are like on the top. Like it's like, oh, you know, there's some chassid in the street who's like telling about the portion from thousands of years ago. He's like, oh, okay, it has to do with right now, you know, I can I, it's it's relatable. So like that's really cool, right? That's and this chassid is like teaching stuff on the street. Um, yeah, I wonder how they, how they had the conversation about emissions. I don't know, did the guy like, tell him about that in the street? Or did he have to put Randomly on the street. <laughs> Somehow doubt it. You, you know, you like, talk a lot in the street with your neighbors? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that didn't happen. Uh, the rest of it, maybe. Yeah, the rest of it. Yeah, but like, it sounds good for the article, for sure. Yeah, no, 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 just like that. I'm sure the guy didn't like, tell telling about it. You know, like the most interesting part of the Parsha, you should know, you know, <laughs> He probably, as
0: they were reading the Torah, he probably was reading along in whatever version of the Torah he had in his yes. house. And he was like, oh, that's interesting. I'm going to include that one.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, no, yeah, but that, there you go. Even that. So he's seeing like every little thing, right? This idea of not wasting something precious, you know? So there's just every little idea, every value that he's connecting, right? These common values that he's reading in the Torah. And he's saying, wow, you know, this is actually something to think about for today. Like, because, I wonder when the last time he read Torah was. Yeah, I have no idea. I mean... uh Yeah, well, we
0: were just putting words in his mouth. There's no way to yeah. know. But the point yeah. is is that obviously it, it, it spikes some kind of curiosity within him.
1: Yeah. So, um yeah. Anyway, did you want to read some of the comments? Mm. Uh You
0: can read some of the comments if there's anything that uh, sticks out in your mind. There's 66 comments. Um There's a lot there. Good and bad. Yay and nays there. Quite a bit. Okay, so give us a yay, give us an A, let's, let's, let's pick it apart. Why don't you go for it? I'm not, I don't even have it in front of me. Oh, you don't have it in front of me. Okay. Um, yeah, so the first, uh, the first one uh, was from actually an hour ago. Why did the author or editor not talk or show pictures of 50% of the Hasidic population, namely females? How are they coping? Are they allowed to, out of their residences? Are they allowed to go to hospitals if they think they have COVID-19? This is 21st century. Why, why, why are so many articles only about men? This seems to be a common misconception.
1: Yeah. It's, yeah, it's like, it sounds like everybody is like up to domestic abuse. Yeah. You know? that's, that's like a real, like, well, are they allowed to go to the hospital? Excuse me? What? <laughs> <laughs> like, well,
0: <laughs> <laughs> over the years, we've had a lot of different types of people at our Shabbat table in our home. And so uh we had uh, someone a couple of years ago who showed up at the shul I don't remember the details of how they got to our house but the woman turns to my wife to Sarah in the middle of the Shabbat meal and says so how does it feel to be an oppressed hasidic woman and Sarah looks at her and says well huh? she didn't burst out laughing no she just you know and her just like she's like huh <laughs> <laughs> if they only knew
1: yeah if they only knew
0: <laughs> if they only knew I mean, here, I mean, again, we're just kind of feeding into the trope because here's two men, you know, sitting here speaking about women. But I mean, if there's a woman that wants to come on, we wouldn't, we wouldn't object just happens to be the two of us are talking about it.
1: Yeah. Well, whatever we were into the news. Um, So yeah, I noticed a lot of the comments are like that, you know, they picked up on his thing. He said, Oh, it's just the men who are praying. How about this one? Yeah.
0: Uh, This is from 17 hours ago.
1: I don't think the author is really that secular.
0: To me, he sounds like deep down in his heart of hearts, he wants a membership card to the club. To thine own self be true, Joseph. But remember, Joseph, it comes with a price, not the least of which has that every sperm is sacred. (laughs) Well, now. Yeah. Yeah. Here's an interesting one from 19 hours ago. I feel so much empathy for these people after watching Schtissel on Netflix and living in the mile end years ago. These days, it feels so good to connect with people on any level to celebrate a shared humanity.
1: There you go. The power of Schtissel. If you haven't watched it yet, then go and bloody watch it. It's a masterpiece. It is the first Hasidic show about nothing. It's not about nothing.
0: It's fantastic
1: it really is it's just it's it's the power i've heard incredible stories of people going like 180 degrees really based on schtissel yeah actually olga who's in her community told me about someone she knows
0: that's Uh, That's really amazing i i was i was sitting there watching schtissel and thinking to myself my entire education all of my years of rabbinical school have prepared me to be able to watch schtissel without subtitles yeah that's right (laughs) Just <laughs> because you have to know the Yiddish and the Hebrew, like there's so many, there's so much innuendo, as you they call it,
1: in it. Yeah, yeah, as you have to know, understand Israeli culture, you yeah, have to get exactly what Yeah, it's pretty one, good. One day we
0: have to do a podcast just um, uh, on Shtissel and analyzing it and talking about it. we've been a
1: podcast, we're doing a, a people for a long time. People have gone to do a class. Maybe we'll do it next week. Yeah, let's let's do a class. That would be great
0: here's another uh a comment great article well written in a creative fashion but also very informative it makes one feel blessed that we live in a country that condones this type of lifestyle and way of worship i love that
1: (laughs) yeah yeah maybe one more maybe Uh, something give us the nastiest comment you can find uh, the
0: most depraved This article was poetic, it uplifted and resonated with me. I'm a practicing Catholic, and I've missed going to mass and community of my people. Very beautiful. Um, Here's one. This article couldn't have been written by a Josepha Rosen. Imagine myself or any Josepha stepping out of our apartment and attempting to join the prayers. Rosen writes that post COVID, we must rediscover the values that guides us. Let's start with his neighbors discovering that women need to be cleansed after childbirth, among other faulty beliefs about my gender.
1: Mm-hmm. It's, it's a common well,
0: misconception.
1: I wouldn't laugh at it. You know, I think it's important, but... No, uh, I'm not laughing
0: at it. I'm just saying that it's a common misconception.
1: Yeah, well, misconception. I don't know what it is. It's, you know, there's, there's a serious the angst. idea of and being I think... dirty and clean, for example yeah it's, it's 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 one misconception among thousands, like can the women go to the hospital if they're sick? You know yeah. what I mean? Like, uh it's one of thousands of misconceptions and misunderstandings, and uh you know if uh, that's, that's but that, maybe that's something that's needed for the future. I feel like they need to do some media, some expose, some more mm-hmm. on you know look, at the end of the day, it's all about hearing from those people. So let's hear from the Hasidic women. I think thats that would be like a nice thing to to get into. I think it's very important, very very important.
0: Um, yeah. Well, they now have a Hasidic uh, city councilor uh, in Uxbridge, uh, who's a woman, Mindy.
1: Yeah. Pala. Yeah. It's yeah, but that doesn't go with the narrative. Like you're not going to hear anyone say that. Like the the, the highest ranking, you know, politician, Hasidic politician is a woman, right? In Canada, uh, actually in the United States as well. Um, uh, you know, the I think the only Hasidic person to be like a serious, pretty high level judge is also a woman, right? Right. Uh, In New York City. So, uh, yeah, a lot of real serious uh, misunderstandings about that. But I think, uh, yeah, that that actually, I feel like one of the French newspapers or something, you know, needs to do like a really, really good. It's interesting because
0: has tried and Radio Canada has tried over the years, they've given quite a bit of money to filmmakers to um, to to do exposés on the Hasidic community. I've seen them all. All of them that could have come out, nothing is, is even worth its weight in anything. I mean, they always, you know, because the problem is it's always an outsider looking in. So you're going to come with your preconceptions. You're going to come with your bias. Uh, and because of that, a lot of the... Uh, people who have done films and who have done uh, articles on the Hasidic community, there's always this bias that's attached to it.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, any filmmaker can be doing that and any filmmaker can, you know, a good filmmaker tries to see things for how they are and tries to eliminate, you know, identify his or her own biases and, uh, you know, try to see things as as real as as possible. Um, But yeah, that's something that remains to be done. That's The conclusion there is that there's so many misunderstandings and misconceptions. We need to hear from the Hasidic women. Let them tell their story. Yeah. And probably what needs to happen next. Absolutely. Anyway, one day. I think
0: that's a good uh, outcome. We have to, maybe we can help facilitate that. That's a, that's an important uh, piece.
1: Yeah, look if uh, certain things work out, which we can't talk about yet. Then yes, exactly. Absolutely. God willing, we'll see where that goes. Yeah.
0: Okay, well, thank you so much for joining me tonight. And uh, thank you for your commentary and your uh, observations. And I I think that, uh, yeah, it was fantastic. We should do this in the future. We should do it again sometime.
1: Anytime you want to read through a news article, just call
0: me up. (laughs) Okay, thanks. Have a good night. Have a good night, Rabbi. Hi, Rabbi Bernath here. I have some great news for you. My popular four week course, Kabbalah for Everyone, is available right now for free for the next 50 people who download it. All you have to do is go to www.theloverabbi.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and you're going to see the download button right there. In this course, I talk about the Kabbalistic secrets to relationships, to wealth, to happiness, and balance. This special offer has been dedicated in loving memory of Ellie Dorfman. I look forward to hearing from you and hope you enjoy the course now on to today's episode.